Hi there, folks. How will China's investigation into the Zhongzhi Enterprise Group impact the shadow banking industry and the nation's financial stability? Marin Young, today we'll find out. Now, streaming right around the world, this is Ticker Today. It is great to be with you wherever you are joining us from today. Also on Ticker Today, Elon Musk has toured the site of the Hamas assault on Israel, declaring his commitment to do whatever necessary to stop the spread of hatred. But first... China has launched an investigation into the Zhongzhi Enterprise Group, a major shadow bank, over alleged financial crimes. Authorities are now scrutinising the group's operations amid concerns of illicit activities that may have repercussions on the country's financial stability. For more, let's bring in David Jiang, who's in New York. He's with China Insider. David, always great to see you. Now, what specific allegations have been made against this enterprise group? Well, Zhongzhi basically left 36 billion U.S. dollars equivalent of debt to uh, China, to the government to handle. Meanwhile, they did announce there's investigations and criminal investigations for that matter. But it is really the fact that there is a dramatic amount of money missing. And that's got to come from somewhere. So unfortunately, the investors are going to, along with uh, certain numbers of the or certain parts of the Chinese government is going to have to take up that damage and disperse it through the system. So I think overall, there is a search for a missing amount of money in an industry that for the last 20 years was seen as a happy to go place to find money on investment. And uh, that's unfortunately where we're at now. And this was not, of course, the first a sign of warning. Uh, a few months back, Zhongzhi had already declared that it is unable to pay back some of this debt. And so we're seeing, uh, I guess, the next stage of development in the matter. Yeah, very much so. Um, how does the investigation fit into the broader efforts now trying to regulate shadow banking? Right. The shadow banking industry, by the way, is about $3 trillion. So that's more wow. than the French GDP. And so that size, uh, one of the biggest players, of course, is Zhongzhi. Just like Evergrande's boss, Hui Kaiyan, who is currently under criminal investigation as well, they try to grab the key person, so to speak, that affected the part of the industry that they're in. But this is not the, the real core issue. The real core issue is where is that big amount of money, which, by the way, are made up of private sector investors with uh, smaller quantity in terms of number of people, but a big sum of funds. Where is that amount of money? And, and that, unfortunately, despite China having the capability to sort of absorb things, but there is an ongoing implosion with the real estate sector and the shadow banking industry is heavily exposed to that. And so those two are connected. Talk to us about the potential consequences that we could now see from this probe on the shadow banking industry in China. Right. So many people were calling this the Lehman Brothers moment of China simply because the shadow banking industry is called shadow banking because there's no, or I wouldn't say no regulation, but very loosely regulated compared to the normal investment banking as well as uh, trust. But in, in this sector, you are dealing with so-called private sector, but it has the government's footprints in it. And so what we're looking at is uh, it, almost like an unregulated amount of money that has yeah. to go somewhere. It's untraceable right now. So talk to us about the investigators, the, the investors, the clients as well of the Zhongzhi Enterprise Group. How have they reacted to the news? Has it come as a shock? I don't think so. I think everyone knows and they planned this um, you know, years in advance, to, just like how Evergrande's boss, Hui Kaiyan, has moved some of the assets overseas as well. I think when they're playing with fire, they need a way to somehow escape the uh, flame. So I think that's, uh, I, I don't think there's any surprise there. And what steps are we likely to now see from China? What are they likely to do based on the outcome of this investigation? Will there be much change? 
I think overall it's going to be a political decision from the top that's going to decide what to do next. I don't think uh, any market policy is going to be enacted on this, just like with the real estate sector. But I think those two go hand in hand. So it's going to have to be one solve for the other one to take effect type of situation. Yeah, we often talk about the real estate sector. Where are we at at the moment? Has there been much movement over the past few weeks in the Chinese real estate sector? Are things improving or are they getting worse? The government has enacted what's called a 50 uh, developers putting on a put it into a whitelist. So that means all the other developers are unfortunately on the unofficial blacklist. And those on the whitelist can enjoy uh, unchallenged loaning from banks, uh, so to speak, or unrestricted loaning. And so we'll see how that goes. But I think that might not be the uh, result they want to see as Chinese investors in the developer in real estate. They've not been able to return great investments uh, mm. for the past few years. So you talk about the whitelist and the blacklist here as well. Does this become political? It is definitely political because once you have the government mandated list, you're no longer dealing with the uh, interest of investors and buyers for that matter. You're not dealing with uh, the government imposing a sort of set of uh, restrictions on who you can buy from or who you should buy from. From that perspective, everything is a state intervention in the real estate sector now. All right, David Jang there in New York from China Insider. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Elon Musk has toured the site of the Hamas assault on Israel and declared his commitment to do whatever necessary to stop the spread of hatred. Musk, the owner, of course, of the X platform, formerly known as Twitter, he also owns Tesla and SpaceX, watched footage assembled from Hamas body cams of the October 7 killing spree by Hamas, as well as meeting families of some of the hostages. He had a live online chat with the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on X Spaces. Earlier during the day, Musk posted on X saying actions speak louder than words. X has suffered a huge backlash from hundreds of advertisers as the spread of anti-Semitic content on that platform. Okay, let's turn our attention now to the complex landscape of the Ukrainian conflict from the military operation to the enduring spirit of Ukrainian civil society in the face of relentless Russian aggression. For more, we're joined by journalist Rodion Krasnovod, who's in Lviv in Ukraine. Rodion, great to have you here on Ticker. Talk to us about the current situation and what is happening there at the moment. Uh, so for now, we are still in a rather difficult situation because we are... Uh, trying to uh, offensive on different areas and the front line is uh, rather long uh, from north to uh, south side and uh, we trying to um, um, take a road to um, Black Sea, Azov Sea and um, we are fighting against um, a big um, military country uh, which has um, um, planes, uh, different types of missiles, and uh, in this case, it's um, rather difficult to go uh, to their position without the planes. And um, we see that uh, Russia now are trying to keep all the position uh, what they have uh, took in uh, first months of uh, their invasion, and um, they have. Uh, some areas like Avdiivka or Kupiansk or Krimina, uh, which they're trying to take, uh, but they have no success now. Um, as I see, it's more political uh, offensive for them uh, than military, um, because 
this is very very small uh, villages cities and um, Russia have to show that they are trying to take something but they have no success Talk to us about how the Ukrainian liberation of the left bank of the Dnieper region uh, in the Kherson region is is developing. What's happening there at the moment? It's one of the most interesting um, uh, thing which is uh, going on on front line because uh, some months ago uh, we even uh, couldn't dream about that because it's rather difficult and um, um, Dnieper river is uh, very big. Kherson um, region is divided by Dnieper River and right bank are under uh, control of Ukrainian armed forces and left bank is occupied. But for now, we have a small platform which is uh, in our hands and uh, we're fighting there very well. Today, I saw some reports from Russian side from them uh, uh, propagandist uh, journalists and they uh, told that it's very difficult to keep that area uh, for, for Russians because Ukrainians are very well organized. They have uh, contemporary uh, type of uh, weapons like uh, FPV drones which helps uh, Ukrainian troops and um, they have to live uh, kilometer by kilometer uh, going out and for us it's very important because we see that we have opportunity uh, to go closer to Crimea mm. uh, to get close to, uh, to both seas Azov and uh, Black Sea. Talk to us about the situation and the risks of Russian missile attacks on Ukrainian critical infrastructure. We've watched helplessly over the past year and a half, or nearly two years, of course, as the Russians have continued their assault on Ukrainian infrastructure. We've seen concerns about nuclear power plants. We've now seen the power going out across major cities there as well. How has Ukraine been able to manage this, to deal with this, with, of course, the help from NATO, the United States too? What's the situation with the critical infrastructure? So, uh, everyone remembers uh, how it was last year when every night uh, Russians uh, sent um, hundreds uh, of missiles for critical infrastructure in Ukraine. And we uh, remember it and for now we uh, prepared more better than last year. We have anti-aircraft systems uh, with help of uh, foreign countries from uh, USA. And uh, for last three months, there was no shellings uh, like last year because Russians are prepared, want to be prepared for this uh, winter. To, uh, they will try to destroy our uh, critical infrastructure uh, to make people afraid, to make people um, um, be in a bad mood, uh, to impact on in internal political situation in Ukraine. And really, I if think I could, sorry, just interrupt. Have... I just want to get your thoughts on that. It's interesting you mentioned that. That's where I was about to go. Ukrainian civil society, how does it develop in the context of brutal Russian aggression? I mean, for, for many people, as the years go by, life has to go on. If it can go on, what's it like? Um, a lot of IDPs from uh, February of uh, 2022 moved to the west part of uh, Ukraine. Some of them moved to other countries, but those people who lost their uh, houses, 
some of them lost families, they um, gathered together. They um, are trying uh, to uh, help Ukrainian armed forces. Uh, so I can say, uh, can say that we are all together now um, and uh, society yeah. is gathering uh, more and more closer. Uh, yeah. Sometimes in Twitter or Facebook we see that um, we have some um, like um, emotional conversations, but, but in reality uh, all of us are volunteers now who are working to for frontline to help in our soldiers, yeah. uh, our militaries uh, to win this war. All right, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you so much for that, Rydion Krezenod, who's in Lviv, Lviv there in uh, Ukraine. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, Thank more ticker right after this. You're watching Ticker. We'll have more in just a few minutes. 